When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. In episode 42 of our topic, uh, Exodus, God's great rescue, and uh, we've already gone through all the other commandments. Uh, we ended up on thou shalt not steal. Uh, and then we started into um, the, the commandment, eighth commandment, do not bear false testimony. Do not bear false witness. And uh, this, this probably, this topic really interests me because a witness is a very, very powerful tool. Obviously, before forensics in DNA, the number one thing that it took to convict somebody of a crime was truly a, an eyewitness. And if it's one eyewitness against the other, then it's the veracity and the reliability and the truthfulness and the kind of the uh, character. Oh my, there's a big train going by. The character of that witness um, versus the character of the, you know, of the person who says, you know, that, that the crime has been accused of, of the crime. But we still, even today, we spend a lot of time uh, giving a lot of credence to a, an eyewitness testimony, and um, and we as we should. So if you're going to be an eyewitness, you are probably the number one person that can give uh, give an eyewitness account to a crime. A um, couple things about that. First of all, is that the prosecutorial system across the world, they get kind of credit or what thrills them is finally convicting somebody of a crime. So their desire, their whole purpose for existing is to try to prosecute crimes. So when they find a crime has been committed, their whole thing is we've got to find out who did the crime and then we have to prosecute that. There's a, there's a lot of pressure on the legal system to, to do that. And so um, they might... Uh, be very, very interested and keenly aware of eyewitnesses. And their desire, I think, I think their desire is to try to get to the truth. I do think that. But I think there have been places and uh, situations in time where their desire to prosecute may have overlapsed their desire to get to the truth. Um, and we know this because uh, we have had over the last 20 years, people who had been convicted, convicted of crimes and sitting in prison, but finally they pull out the DNA evidence and they start running the DNA evidence against, um, you know, against the people that have been convicted of the crime. And apparently there's a lot. I mean, to me, it's a large number, but probably in the whole realm of, of crimes that have been convicted, it's not a large percentage like maybe 0.01% of something, where they've actually found out that the person sitting in prison did not actually commit the crime. And uh, even if there was an eyewitness testimony, oftentimes, you know, to get into prison, there has to be some sort of really convicting evidence, and an eyewitness testimony is part of that. So that does leave people questioning whether or not eyewitness testimony is reliable. And there have been lots and lots. Of, this is a field that actually interests me quite a bit. Because, um, because I don't like it when somebody's been wrongfully accused of some crime. 
And so therefore, uh, when somebody, whenever somebody is released from prison, I take note of that and say, wow, that's interesting. I feel bad for anybody who's, you know, spent 10, 15, 20 years in prison when they were not justly accused. Um, so if you are ever an eyewitness to a crime, my prayer to you is that you try to stay faithful to the truth and just know that the people who are convicting the crime have an agenda. And so they may be giving you a lot of pressure. Um, speak the truth. Always speak the truth, no matter how difficult that truth is. And if you don't remember, say you don't remember. Um, if you can't remember, like I often wonder, you see these police sketches and I I just don't remember people from day to day. Like I couldn't give you a police information for a police sketch if you paid me. But the fact is I haven't seen a crime either. So if somebody committed murder right in front of me, I do wonder if that face would get um, you know, um, plastered in my brain and I would never forget that face. I do wonder about that. But short of that, I don't, I don't really remember people very well. I have a hard time. I think I have the same thing, um, maybe to a lesser degree, that some people are, are um, they have this disease where they can't recognize people's faces. And uh, I think I have on the spectrum of that. I have a hard time uh, recognizing people's. Like if somebody's wearing a mask, uh, I have no idea who they are. I, there's not enough visual cues uh, behind the mask you know, that, that's visible to give me any idea of who these people are. Um, which is really, I know that you probably, you, there's some people who, you know, all I need is the ear and I can, you know, I can identify that person immediately. Not me. I, I have a hard time uh, with people behind masks and their voice is muffled too. So sometimes I can't even go by the voice, which is also very helpful. So uh, when it comes to don't bear false witness, um, uh, and that's the, that's the commandment we're on, you know, don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Um, just be very, very careful about that. Um, no, you know, don't, don't let your prejudices or your preconceived notions or your hatreds or, you know, whatever, uh, cloud your judgment to speak the truth, uh, because Jesus is in the truth. And that's why you should not give false testimony against your neighbor. Um, now in politics, this seems to be okay. Um, I can't tell you how many times over the last, since I've been following politics, where somebody will say something that is completely untrue. And it turns out to be completely untrue. Or at least it's uh, the facts are twisted so much that it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, because it seems like everything is fair game in the world of politics. And so I would say to any politician, remember your eighth commandment here. <laughs> Don't give false testimony against your political candidate, you know, your political rival. Um, and I know we talked about this a little bit. I know that it's sexy and it sells and that's what it takes sometimes to break through the fog of people's um, attention span when it comes to the world of politics. But um, I do not believe that you should ever give false witness, a false testimony against your neighbor. I just don't think you should do it. And that's why I would be the world's worst political candidate because I just, I know there would be a, a tremendous amount of pressure of people saying, go negative, go negative. And it's like, nope, unless I know I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. Now, um, what's interesting is that this also applies to the world of gossip. Um, gossip basically is 
propelling or propagating a narrative or something that's been said about somebody. I think you are only allowed to, in the world of this world, you are only allowed to give testimony if you were particularly in that particular situation. You were eyewitness to that testimony. Um, I think that's the only time that you're really allowed to do this. If you, if you hear from somebody who heard from somebody about something, you are no longer an eyewitness. And if you hear something bad about somebody, but you weren't an eyewitness to that, you have no business propagating that, that information. Even if you know for 100% that it's true, because it's, um, you are not an eyewitness to it. You're, you're, you're hearing it second or third hand. And uh, I think that would also extend to, um, to video camera footage of things. Um, I, do, I believe that we have to be very, very careful of video camera footage because sometimes they only capture from one angle and they only capture a, the viewpoint of one particular person. What you don't see is the whole, like if you're an eyewitness, you're seeing the whole thing unfold. And, uh, and you can see the crowd and the reaction and why things are happening. And the video camera focuses in on one particular, you know, segment or snippet. And uh, it oftentimes does not give you the full picture. Um, so, and there are a lot of people that gossip over video footage. And I think we should just let video footage speak for itself. I don't think we should bear false witness against video footage. Like you can't take a snippet of the video footage and then whatever your agenda is um, politically or whatever, create an agenda based upon that video footage because it supports what your particular thing is and then, um, you know, let it go viral. Um, but this happens all the time. I mean, this this is now the world that we live in. We have a lot of people that that do not follow the Ten Commandments. They're not bound by the legality of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and there's a lot of damage that's being created in the world around us because there are people that are bearing false testimony or creating gossip or creating narratives based upon very limited amount of information that's just destroying this country, absolutely destroying this country. And the only way to fight against it Really, truly, the only way to fight against it is to help people stop, um, how do I say this? To help people uh, understand that they all have biases and leanings and that at some point we have to step back from our biases and leanings and really, truly look at the evidence and critically think about the evidence. We don't teach critical thinking anymore. I really don't think so. And I think that's one of the reasons why, and I don't know about our own public school system here in, um, in Vail, but I do know that across the world, uh, most of the school systems teach people to, um, to not think critically, but just to uh, know the answers and give the right answers. And that is not helpful at all. And that's why in some places, and again, I don't think this applies to us, but in some places across the world, people are looking at different strategies of education. What I think one of them is classical education, which is one of the three pillars of classical education is to critically think. Um, I think that is probably, if I were in charge of education for our country, 
I would demand that we teach critical thinking. Um, that would also not go over very well because <laughs> we don't want people to critically think. We want, I mean, we want people to to uh, just listen and hear and uh, and I'm just. The only reason why I say this is because of what I know, some of the popular education programs that are gaining foothold across the world, the ones that are really, really being very successful right now are critical thinking. Uh, you know, they have that traditional um, education system and what they call classical education. And because they're becoming so popular, it makes me believe that in some places across the world, they're not doing the, the classical education. They're just teaching information that you're supposed to learn and then uh, spout off in a test. Um, I would, I would if it were up to me, I would talk about this commandment and the importance of this commandment and learning the truth before you propagate anything. And that if you are a person that actually was witness to a crime, to stop and think and say, okay, did I really see what I'm what I saw? Uh, were there any other things that could prevent me from seeing what I saw? Um, a classical example of this. Oh my goodness! Can I talk about this? I guess I can. Uh, there's a movie that came out 20 years ago called My Cousin Vinny, and it's a story about uh, these two boys that went in the sack of suds and supposedly uh, they killed the clerk. Um, but they were driving a car that was very similar to the to the crime, uh, but it was they were not the ones that killed the clerk. It was somebody that came after them that killed the clerk. Uh, but they get thrown into prison, and all the eyewitness testimonies uh, point to this guy. Even though you know one person had really poor eyesight, one person had dirty windows, uh, one person um, had trees. I mean, there's just a lot of people that gave eyewitness testimonies that really did not give an eyewitness testimony and uh, because they were just too far away or their, you know, their eyesight wasn't all that good or whatever. They didn't have enough time. That was part of it too, right? Um, so uh, and so eventually they get uh, released because there was better evidence than the eyewitness testimony. So, and I, I think I just love the movie. I mean, I don't know how real it is. I mean, if that thing happens in real life, I can't imagine uh, but it is a fun movie. Um, it's got foul language in it, um, so don't go, don't pick it up and think that I approve of the foul language that's in that movie. Um, but, but Melissa Torme, uh, Joe Pesci, Ralph Macchio, they do a great, great job uh, in that movie. <laughs> and it's just, oh, and Herman Herman Munsters, the judge. Oh, what's his Fred Fred Gwynn, uh, uh, whatever his name is. Um, just does a phenomenal job as the judge. <laughs> it's a great movie. Oh my goodness. Um, I, it is probably one of the most quotable movies next to Princess Bride that there is. There's just some really, really good one-liners in that thing. Anyway, uh, but but the, we live in a world today, fortunately, where we have other sources of evidence than just you know bearing false witness against your neighbor. But the command still sits because... We are, we are human beings and we place a lot of credence on eyewitness testimony. We really, really do. So if you're going to give an eyewitness testimony, make sure that you're giving the correct eyewitness testimony. And if you decide to go into politics, um, don't, uh, you know, don't fall into the political trap of using 
these eyewitness testimonies to just destroy your political opponent, which seems to be happening all the time today. Um, make sure you only give the truth and don't escalate the non-truths. Don't escalate the lies. All right. Now, why is this bad for us? Like, uh, obviously, the Ten Commandments, I believe, were given by God because we live in a world where we have to be around other people and that we are not fully complete unless we are in community with other people. And so I believe that the Ten Commandments that God gives us are good for us, too. Um, so don't murder and don't give false witness. Why are both of those commandments? Uh, I mean, obviously you think it's, um, you know, th this could destroy somebody else. It really doesn't impact me, right? But it does. Because if you tell a lie or if you convict somebody or, or you kill somebody or you tell a lie about somebody, which is, you know, kind of in a sense murdering them, um, you will have to live with the damage of that for the rest of your life. Particularly if you kill somebody, unless you're a sociopath, which there are people out there who are sociopaths. Killing somebody is, um, I believe that that will haunt you for the rest of your life. I really do believe it will. I, uh, unless you are completely devoid of feelings, uh, you will. this will haunt you for the rest of your life. And you will not have a great life. And the same thing, I believe, for giving false testimony. If you give false testimony and it turns out that that person is killed, you know, executed, um, or if that person is put in prison for the rest of their life, or that person's life is destroyed for the rest of your life, at some point, uh, you know, once your head clears and you realize what you've done, I think that's also going to haunt you for the rest of your life. These are things that you just shouldn't do. And at the moment, it may feel like it's a great thing, but uh, I do believe that when you commit these two commandments, when you go against these two commandments, ultimately you are the one that suffers, um, which is why King David, uh, when he sinned against Bathsheba, um, and uh, it was, you know, brought out that he had sinned and that he had lied and he'd cheated and stealed and had Uriah the Hittite killed and all that stuff that everybody knew. Um, when he goes to God in Psalm 51, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. In other words, yeah, he wronged Uriah the Hittite and he wronged Bathsheba and he wronged the whole entire Israelite community. You know, he put a lot of damage into the kingdom that took a long time, if ever, to clean up. But for King David, uh, he realized that initially the first crime was, was a sin against God. Um, because all sin initiates as a sin against God. It has lots and lots of lifetime and, and wide-ranging uh, impacts in our community, in our world. But first and foremost, it's a sin against God. So when you give false testimony and when you kill somebody, first and foremost, those are sins against God um, and that they haunt us. Any sin that you commit against God will haunt you for the rest of your life until you've atoned for that sin. Um, that's just the way we are as humans. We, we can't get away from it. It's just hardwired into us, unless you're a sociopath uh, or unless you are an atheist and don't believe that God exists. Um, but if you don't believe that God exists, then none of these commandments should really haunt you for the rest of your life because there is no objective moral standard. Um, but there is an objective moral standard. These two things, these two commandments, don't kill somebody and don't bear false witness against your neighbor, 
are almost proof that God exists because they haunt us so much. And why would they haunt us unless God exists? Eh, little interesting philosophical question. Um, so we are we are in that was the uh, that's the last uh, that's the eighth commandment. So we have two, and remember different. Um, Different denominations number these differently. If you're Reformed, this is actually the ninth commandment. Uh, and then the, the coveting commandments are all joined into one commandment about coveting. But in Lutheran Catholic circles and um, historical Christianity, this is the uh, eighth commandment. And then there's two more commandments after it. And sometimes they switch them uh, to make more uh, sense uh, as far as how they should be switched. But uh, these are, this is the eighth commandment. And then we're going to get into on the next episode, the ninth and the tenth commandment, which is those on coveting. And then we have to remember that this is actually part of a story. <laughs> These commandments that we've been talking about for a week and a half are actually embedded uh, with the people who are at the foot of Mount Sinai receiving these ten commandments. And then right after this, God carves with his finger these commandments in stone and gives them to Moses. And uh, and then what happens to that? Well, that's the rest of the story. Okay, and we'll talk about that when we gather together again next week. So I think this is a good spot to close. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, gracious God, give me your spirit to help me see through the fog and to never bear false witness. Uh, keep us Keep us safe from that. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.